0: Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, everybody. This is Kyle Claridge coming to you from Rochester, Minnesota in cardiology and cardiac surgery. We are here with the interview with the experts today. Today, our expert is, and it's my pleasure to introduce, Dr. Kevin Greason, Associate Professor of Surgery and Phenomenal Surgeon at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I have the topic that we will be discussing is the difference between surgical aortic valve replacement and trans aortic insertion, transcatheter aortic insertion of aortic valve replacement. So sometimes referred to as TAVI, sometimes referred to as TAVR, but for the purpose of this discussion, we will discuss it as TAVI implantation
1: or insertion. Right, Kevin? Right. Uh, Good morning, Kyle. Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. Kevin, uh, when we talk about aortic valve replacement or transcatheter approaches to aortic valve insertion, we know that the surgical approaches have become so safe, durable, Patients do very, very well for long periods of time. So now we have this new, relatively new procedure that's also beginning to get a lot of traction. As you know, we're doing a lot of them at Mayo. And I was wondering if you could just give the audience an overview of what groups of patients you really think are meant to have the transcatheter approach versus a surgical approach in today's technology.
1: Thank you, Kyle. That's a great question. And I think it all boils down to the TAVI procedure offers a less invasive option for aortic valve treatment of aortic valve stenosis. And less invasive in that it can be done through a puncture in the groin and it does not involve the cardiopulmonary bypass machine. I mean those two advantages are huge for TAVI procedure. We live in a patient-centric environment and I think our job as a aortic valve expert is to give the patient all the information they need so that they can make the right decisions for themselves. And sometimes we do color that by telling them, you know, you're not a good tabby candidate, or you're not a good surgery candidate. And we just have to be honest with them so that they can make the right decision for themselves.
0: Do you think that there uh, is a difference in? Certain endpoints, like maybe we could, I think probably the most important one to many patients is what's the risk of death related to a surgical or transcatheter approach?
1: So we're fortunate in that there have been several large prospective randomized studies that have looked at the comparison of surgical versus transcatheter aortic valve insertion. And in general, I tell patients that the risk of dying from the procedure is the same. And as far as we know, the data we have out to eight years, there's no difference in mortality, whether you have surgical or transcatheter aortic valve insertion. Now, most of those studies that were done were done in 85-year-old people. And those data are not necessarily applicable to 60-year-olds, but it's something that we can talk about in the consultation room. How about
0: stroke? That's also been raised as something that we worry a lot about with any interventional procedure and any surgical procedure, is there a difference in rates of stroke-related problems?
1: That's a great question because I don't think there's a surgeon alive who would have thought that TAVI could be done with a low risk of stroke. But it turns out the risk of stroke is the same. At 30 days, the risk of stroke is the same with TAVI and surgery.
0: That's impressive, really. I have to say that I was one of the doubting cardiologists at the time, too, just based on our previous experience with balloon valvuloplasty, we knew that there was a risk of stroke with those that was quite high.
1: Um, I tell patients the risk is about 1% to 2%.
0: That's great. 1% to 2%. That's fantastic.
1: And most people fear stroke more than death. So that's an important conversation to have.
0: That's actually a really good point. And I said death might be the first thing that people worry about. But I think you're right. my experience, patients worry more about living with a debilitating stroke than dying with a procedure. So that's a really important point. And that it's only 1% to 2% is very low. So 98 to 99% of our patients could get through either a surgical or a catheter implantation with very low risk of stroke. So that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: And most of those strokes are mildly debilitating.
0: How about the groups? Is there a, cer- a certain group of patients that you tend to steer in the direction of surgical valve replacement versus transcatheter implantation?
1: So when I see a patient, there's two things that I look at in that regard. One is age, and the other is the CAT scan. So age-wise, most of the TAVI procedures have been done in elderly people, and we know how a TAVI procedure may or a TAVI the Tavi valve will last in an 85-year-old. We don't have that information in somebody who's 60 or less than 60. So that's kind of a black box. And uh, we need to kind of put that out there to the patient that, that is an unknown. But I spend quite a bit of time looking at the CT scan to determine, is this patient a good candidate for a Tavi procedure? Are there findings in the aortic root that make me worried about doing a Tavi procedure? And I'll just be honest with the patient and tell them, you know, that a TAVI is a bad option for you. I would recommend surgery. And most patients hear that, understand that, and are willing to, you know, change their mindset about what they're going to move ahead with.
0: You mentioned durability. I think that you said that you can pretty much guess how long a valve is, a TAVR valve is, or TAVI valve is going to last an 85-year-old, but we don't have that data for a 60-year-old. But what is that number? How how long do you quote an 85 or 80-year-old that they're transcatheter, aortic valve implant will
1: last. This is what I tell patients. You will wear out before the valve will wear out. Now, I don't have a crystal ball to know for sure, but we're not seeing any signal that TAVI valves break down early.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean,
1: I think uh, a biological surgical aortic valve is going to last probably 10, 15 years. And I think that's all we'll see with the TAVI valves. There is one study out there called the Notions trial that, has patients out to eight years after uh, surgery or TAVI, and there is no difference in structural valve deterioration in the in those patients.
0: Yeah, so that means that at least out to eight years, we are pretty convinced that they, they track a, each other very closely.
1: I think there's only like 145 patients in each of those study arms, so it's not a huge study, but it is encouraging.
0: And it does su- suggest that we'll be hearing more about this in a few years, so that's good news. How about the risk of other things? For instance, the pacemaker.
1: So that's where the big differences come. So I focus on several areas when I'm uh, talking about risk in surgery versus TAVI. One is dialysis, renal failure. That's less with TAVI procedure. Respiratory failure, much less with TAVI procedure. Blood transfusion, much less with the TAVI procedure. Now that ratio switches when we start talking about pacemakers. So in the prospective partner three study, there was no statistical difference whether you would get a pacemaker with surgery or with TAVI procedure. But that's kind of an anomaly. And our kind of real world, real world experience here in Rochester is that your chances of needing a pacemaker after surgery is about 5%. Your chances of needing a pacemaker after the TAVI procedure is probably about 15%. But not all those TAVI patients had heart block. A lot of them had a new left bundle branch block uh, in the setting of already having like a first degree AV block. And we're just a little nervous about sending those patients out without a pacemaker. It's not that they need it definitely, but we're pretty sure they need it just for safety's sake.
0: Right. Just an abundance of caution then to send them out since we yes. we don't know for sure. And I think everyone's aware that probably the transcatheter procedure has a shorter recovery than the surgical, but can you articulate a little bit further how, what the differences are there?
1: I tell patients that if the TAVI procedure goes well, they will probably be better in one day. Surgery is going to take them probably two months to get over that. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we should never do surgery, but all things being equal, you know, your chances of getting up and, and being back to normal after your TAVI procedure are much greater. And I've had patients who the first time they get up to walk after a TAVI procedure, tell me that they can breathe now. That's pretty impressive.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, I think it's an amazing new technology that's really not that new, but we're certainly learning that those inoperable patients, high-risk patients, and now intermediate-risk and even low-risk patients are reasonable TAVI candidates.
1: Yeah, you know, I tell patients that, you know, we have the iPhone 7 version right now of the Tavi valve. Uh, Who knows what it's going to be when it's, you know, the iPhone 14 or whatever, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm excited about it. So it's pretty clear that for an older patient that has appropriate anatomy based on your CT scan evaluation, those patients would, we'd steer them in the direction of a Tavi. I would Um, agree. And those patients who have unfavorable anatomy or may need some other surgical procedure, i.e. some sort of a mitral or tricuspid valve or coronary artery bypass grafting. And even that's a plus or minus because you could approach that percutaneously as well. But mostly patients that are straightforward aortic disease would be steered towards a TAVI unless they're young. And young, I think, is getting older all the time. (laughs) I get older too. So you said sixty or below, between sixty and eighty-five. How do we make that? That's a tough group, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So you know that's where oftentimes those additional comorbidities come in. So you know when we do a TAVI procedure, we're really just focusing on the aortic valve. We're not treating their atrial fibrillation. We're not treating their mitral or their tricuspid disease, and certain nuances of coronary disease are probably best treated surgically. And that's an important discussion to have with the patient because surgery does offer the option to do a left atrial appendectomy, which can have a significant stroke reduction effect on them with their atrial fibrillation. And also, you know, dealing with the uh, mitral of the tricuspid valve regurgitation. I tell patients that with a successful TAVI procedure, there's about a 25% chance they're tricuspid or their mitral regurgitation will get better. There's about a 25% chance it may get worse and there's about a 50% chance it's not going to change. But we know with surgery that we would be highly effective at making their mitral or tricuspid regurgitation much less. So that's just where it comes into the each patient is an individual and you need to sit down and go through those additional comorbidities with them.
0: Right. So I, I think this has been a really comprehensive discussion. In general, but what you're saying is that in general, it's great to think about TAVI and the whole mix, but for an individual patient, we need to take into account all the other comorbidities that they have in other organ systems and all the other comorbidities they have in the cardiac system as well. And once that's done, then we can make the final recommendation
1: based on those. Right. But I think most patients would still choose a TAVI procedure just because it's <laughs> yeah. so much less invasive than surgery. So. Right, and
0: how risky is? You mentioned cardiopulmonary bypass as being one of the things that raises the anti-in favor of TAVI because we don't have to do that. We don't have to do general anesthesia. Are there, uh, is that what? What? What's the risk that you would apply to that cardiopulmonary bypass general anesthesia kind of realm?
1: So there's probably two things that really uh, fit into this question. One would be blood transfusion. Um, obviously, when you go on a cardiopulmonary bypass, your chances of needing a blood transfusion are going to be there, probably 30 to 50% with an aortic valve replacement. And the other one would be renal failure uh, or just acute renal injury. Um, now, the good news is is you know, the chances you'd end up on dialysis are pretty low to begin with, but they're certainly higher with a surgical procedure than they are with a transcatheter procedure. And both of those complications are related to the cardiopulmonary bypass.
0: Thank you for clarifying that. That's great. Are there any other final points you want to make about the discussion, surgical versus transcatheter aortic valve implantation?
1: No, I think the most important aspect is you know, uh, framing it around the patient-centric uh, discussion and letting them understand all the nuances uh, it's not a five minute discussion. it's probably a 35 30 or 45 minute discussion and it's best to have their family there too, especially when you're talking about you know high risk procedure in an elderly patient where you're gonna tackle some of those additional cardiac comorbidities. Best to have the whole family there so that all questions can be discussed and and answered prior to you know whatever procedure you're going to do because you know sometimes tabbies don't work out. And that's disappointing. And in those situations, oftentimes we will do surgery.
0: Right. So you have to be prepared to to intervene surgically if the TAVR doesn't work out right. the way you want it. Correct. So I think you are you make a very good point that in today's world, and as it should be, things are patient-centric. And there's a lot of shared decision-making that goes into the planning for a cardiac procedure, especially when it comes to aortic versus aortic surgical versus aortic transcatheter implantations. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think this has been really informative. It's been great to have you here and you're very knowledgeable on this subject and I know you do both. And so you have a very balanced view of both surgical and transcatheter approach to aortic valve replacement. So I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to participate with uh, the interviews with the experts and have a nice rest of your day to you and our audience.
1: Thank you, Kyle, you too.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME Podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic.